0: We're gonna be reading from Second Corinthians, chapter. <coughs> Hold on. Are you guys able to hear me well? Yes. Okay. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. <coughs> We're gonna be reading from Second Corinthians, chapter four, um, beginning at verse one. Now, I just wish to say that um, I'm going to read a little bit. I want you guys to stay at chapter 4, verse 1. But I want to read just a little bit from chapter 3 to give you guys a bit of context. So you guys know where Paul is coming from and exactly what, what he's communicating and what his what his entire point is but at this point I want to ask that we would uh, join in prayer I want us to assemble together and pray for the Lord's blessing this uh, this morning or for some of you this evening father we come before you Lord and we thank you God for your Holy Spirit that guides us into all truth and all righteousness. Father, I thank You, Lord, for Your Word, God. Your Word tells us that You spoke the world into existence by Your very Word. Your Word tells us in John chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We thank You, Father, that Your Word says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that Your Word is sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides both soul and soul. In spirit, bone and marrow, and it reads the intents and the motives of the heart. Father, I pray, God, that you would grant me the the unction, and you would grant me the power to proclaim your word in such a way that it would divide both soul and spirit, that it would judge the intents and the motives of the heart. Father, I pray that you would grant direction. Lord, I pray that you would grant... um, You would grant uh, direction and wisdom and guidance. I pray that you would shed light upon our uh, situations, that you would shed light upon our lives, O Lord. Father God, I pray right now that you would dispel every lie of the devil. I pray, God, that you would bring low every satanic attack, Lord, that the enemy has tried to concoct in our minds every lie he has fabricated, every stronghold he has tried to set up in our families and in our minds and in our lives, God, I pray that you would break it. I pray, God, that it would be dashed into a thousand pieces. It would be severed. Father, I pray, God, it would be cursed at the roots. Father, I pray for your anointing. I pray for your unction. I pray for your joy. I pray for your peace. I pray for your righteousness. I pray, God, that Your Word would go forth in power and it would illuminate our minds. Father, I pray that Your Word would be a stronghold in our minds. I pray that it would dwell in our hearts richly, that we would abide in You and Your Word would abide in us. Father, I pray that this Word would bring forth much fruit, <clears throat> that it would not fall on ground that would produce thorns and, and breers and, and thistles, but it would produce... A crop of a hundredfold, Lord. I pray that you would grant us, Father, fruit for ministry, fruit of love, fruit of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that we would not dodge the word and that you would give us grace for application, that you would give us grace to apply. Father, I pray that you would give me grace to proclaim. God, and I would, I ask that this would be more than a Bible study, that your presence would dwell with us even now, God, that you would banish dismay, that you would banish discouragement, that you would banish, Lord God, um, despair, and that as a replacement, Lord, that you would grant us hope, that you would grant us faith, that you would grant us love and a clear conscience. God, I ask that you would enliven our hearts, enliven our zeal, cause us to fan and flame the gift of God. Father, I pray that the, the cynicism or the, the rationalization of the minds of the people here today would not rationalize the Word, but receive the engrafted Word of God that is able to save their souls and able to give them uh, inheritance among them that are sanctified. God, I thank You for Your Word. And Father, I pray against all distractions, I pray against all hindrances, I pray against all of it, Father, that you would bring it low, God. Bring it under to the submission of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Praise God. Amen. You must forgive me... um, My 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 voice, you guys got to pray for me too, my voice is a bit raspy, I, I deal with these um, allergies as well as my acid reflux constantly, so it bothers my esophagus, so bear with me as I clear my throat and stuff like that. And <clears throat> but uh, nonetheless, for those of you that just joined, I want to ask that we would turn to turn our Bibles to 2nd Corinthians chapter 4 verse 1 again 2nd Corinthians chapter 4 verse 1 <clears throat> yeah thank you very much I I need your prayers I really do um as you guys know this is the second letter of Paul hence why it's called 2nd Corinthians um Hold on, what's, going, what's going on <clears throat> so this is the second letter that Paul writes to the church at Corinth and sadly the the church of the Corinthians is a pretty jacked up church and I don't say that lightly um, s- some of them were committing incest there was a guy who was sleeping with his stepmom. Uh, they were full of division. They were proud against one another. Uh, they say, "I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Cephas." And so that they were <clears throat> taking pride in in um, the way that certain speakers would speak. Um, Apollos was a very eloquent man. We know that from the Book of Acts. It says that he was an eloquent man, mighty in the Scriptures. And considering that the Corinthians were greatly influenced by rhetoric and and what's called oration, it's the art of speaking, uh, as a consequence, they favored Apollos. Uh, they favored trained speakers. And this is why Paul himself says, I am in no wise a trained speaker. He says, but I'm not without knowledge and I'm not without power. <clears throat> and in fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, um, if I'm not mistaken, he says, I didn't rely on eloquence or, 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 anything like that or the wisdom of men, but I relied on the demonstration of the spirit and power. That's what Paul's reliance was. And the, the, the reason for this was so that your trust may not be in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. That's the purpose. Why? So, of course, is it good to have good speakers and stuff like that that are able to um, make their logical points and everything? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, there is something that you and I must rely upon, and it's the power of God. It's not our intelligence. It's not our own knowledge. It's not how wise we are. It's not even our background experiences. None of that. The reason... That God does this is so that no human, uh, no individual may boast in His presence. This is why God chose some of you that were jacked up, is because when He cleans up your life, you can't say that you did it. Amen. You can't say that you have any reason or cause for the transformation in your life. It's no different than when Gideon had gone before the enemies of God. He says, I'm the weakest among my people. How can I do this? How can I uh, combat and successfully win this war? And well, in fact, if, if it wasn't enough, Gideon gathered his men, and God says, you have too much. Tell them to go home. Those that are, uh, you know, afraid, tell them to leave. He says, "You in fact, you still have too much. Um, you know, go to the waters, and, and those who drink the water a specific way I want you to tell them to leave and so he is left with 300 men <clears throat> and I've heard this before but it's, it's interesting and I believe it with all my heart God doesn't speak to us like he speaks to men he speaks to us as he speaks to himself he will tell you something that you cannot do he will say with the amount of bread you have I want you to feed 5,000 people See, God's speaking to us like he's speaking to himself because it's only God who can provide for that amount of people. Do you see? Because at the end of it, he wants you and I to say, by grace have you brought me safe this far, and tis by grace you will lead me home. But anyways, going back to the Church of Corinthians, uh, they were a jacked up church. They were full of pride, division, um, in fact they were very fluent in the gifts but they were immature um they they you know they were committing incest i mean if and in fact paul says when you guys meet you don't meet for the better you meet for the worse that's what he said imagine attending a church and and the, the pastor says man every time you guys meet you meet for the worst Suppose, you know, as we gather, you know, even here, then there's a lot of contention among each other or a lot of backbiting and a lot of hatred or gossip or whatever. And then as a consequence, I cannot but help but throw up my hands and say, you all meet for the worst. What's with this? But Corinthian church were, you know, they were coming out of a lot of paganism. Um, They didn't even have the luxury of having the entire Bible like we. We just, you know, go to the text and say the Bible says this. But, you know, it wasn't so easy in those times because they were were disputing about what the truth is. They were still figuring stuff out. This is why in the book of Acts, Peter himself says, Who was I to withstand God, that the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon the Gentiles? Peter was having a difficulty accepting the fact that the Lord was receiving the Gentiles and he had to go to the Jerusalem to the mother church of Jerusalem to handle this dispute and there was a consensus that God did accept the Gentiles but they were working through some of these problems and it wasn't so clear cut at this time and so we can look back in the 21st century on the early church and judge them but they they had a limited amount of knowledge And in fact, a lot of our letters comes as a result of problems. Paul's writing in prison. In fact, if a lot of the churches didn't sin the way they did, we wouldn't have the knowledge that we do today. Largely, they were carrying on their practices by the oral traditions that were carried on from uh, Jesus' time because there was a period of time about, I want to say roughly, 30 years that they had no New Testament. All they had was Old Testament, and that's if they had the Old Testament, because mainly it was only the priests and the scribes who had even a copy of the uh, of the Greek uh, Septuagint, was, was which was a Greek translation of the Old Testament. It was only they who had it. The common folk didn't have it. You had to rely on a rabbi to impart knowledge. And so, that's just a little bit of details from church history. But as we come here. The Paul, uh, the, the 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 problem that <coughs> the, the Corinthians are facing is these Judaizers, um, and the reason why I call them Judaizers is they're they're those who were formerly Jews entirely, but somewhat are influenced by the Christian faith, and they're saying that you must be circumcised, and you will see this as a reoccurring problem. You see this in the book of Colossians. You see this in the book of First Tim, Timothy. You see this in the book of Corinthians. You see this in the book of Galatians. They're just popping their head up everywhere. They're saying that you've got to obey the feast. you got to get circumcised to be saved. The reason why we know this, we can look to the book of Acts, and this is exactly what they were saying. They said, unless you were circumcised, you cannot be saved. That was their message. Now, you might be thinking, like, I don't know about you today, brothers in here, you know, um, that's not a very appealing message. We're kind of like happy that we don't have to get circumcised, you know what I mean? Because it's a painful thing. It's like, who wants to be circumcised in the flesh and, and you know, have have foreskin cut off? Forgive me if, you know, if that's a bit descriptive for your ears. But nonetheless, that's not something that we 21st century Westerners are going to be happy about that we would have to observe. And yet, interestingly, a lot of these people are falling prey to this belief. They're they're accepting this, this false gospel that if I am not circumcised, I'm not saved. Now, here's the reason why is because, uh, back then it looked like the circumcision of the flesh. Today it looks like good morality without Holy Spirit. That is the difference, is they always want to boast in what the flesh can do. That is Satan's strategy to always infiltrate the church and tell the people of God that you can do this by your flesh or there's something that your flesh can contribute. But Jesus says the time is now that those who worship the Lord will worship Him not in the flesh but in the Spirit and in truth. He says we are the circumcision who worship the Lord by the Spirit. In fact, Paul goes so far to say this in Galatians. If you rely on the works of the flesh, if you rely on any uh, Old Testamental ways of serving God, he says you're frustrating the grace of God. You're frustrating it. And Paul says, do not receive the grace of God in vain. And this is... Um it may not like I said, it may not be circumcision today, but it is a problem nonetheless, and it will mask itself in morality. it will mask itself in legalism, it will mask itself in what seems to be spirituality Preach. Preach. but but it's it's not and, and let, let me give you a good example. Those that like the, uh, uh, virtue signal about the vaccines, about the masks. A lot of the Christians, they will, they may not say you aren't saved, but implicitly that they will hint to the fact that you're not a real Christian if your church doesn't do vaccinations. You're not a real Christian if you don't support BLM. You're not a real Christian if you don't support masks. It's always these political propaganda that is being pushed out by Bill Gates and by all these liberals and weak jellybacks who who don't have an ounce of scripture within their bones. You get what I'm saying? Oh, I'm not going to get a witness. Turn to your neighbor and tell your neighbor. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) <laughs> Come on, is, you guys are gonna make you gonna make it rough this morning. Turn to your neighbor <laughs> and tell your neighbor, slap your neighbor and tell them to repent. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Touch three people and tell them, get ready, get ready, get ready. <laughs> uh. T D. Jakes, no? No. <laughs> uh, Usually my wife is hyped me. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, okay. Um let, let let's get to the about about this time a lot of the uh religious people would like to stone me. Hey, you shouldn't be doing that. The the Judaizers right now are already mad. I mean, you got the Hebrew roots of the Hebrew too. <laughs> none of those are in sure. here. Where's the scriptural stones? <laughs> <clears throat> but um, so that's that's the background problem that's going on here is that there there's the Judaizers that um are affecting the minds of the Corinthians, the the people whom Paul has fathered, and. He is pleading with them. In fact, you know that this is the only church that Paul didn't, ex- didn't exercise his rights as an apostle to. And what I mean by that is he, for no other churches, every other church he had received financial um, assistance. But in this case, the only case that we find in the scriptures that he actually began to work because the Corinthians were... Um, <clears throat> accusing him of, of mooching off of them. So he says, you know, I'm not going to allow you to rob me of my boast. And he says, if I love you more, are you going to love me less? And he's pleading with them, stop listening to these super apostles. And what the reason why he calls them super apostles is because they're false apostles. And he says they're deceitful workers. They're not preaching the truth. They're preaching a flesh-based gospel. They're preaching a works-based gospel. They're preaching a gospel that says you can contribute something to the grace of God. After all, you're just this wonderful person that's so holy that can contribute something to the blood of Jesus. God forbid we, we can't contribute anything. By grace have we been saved through faith in that, not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. I mean, some of you can't even tie your own shoelace successfully. How, how much less are you going to fulfill the law of God? You know? Uh, so, um, <clears throat> so, you know, I'm not going to read, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read uh, chapter 3, but in chapter 3, he's contrasting the Old Covenant with the New Covenant, and there's a reason why. It's because Similar to the book of Hebrews, the theme is you know, he's writing to the Hebrews and he's telling them, don't revert back to these old ways. Sacrificing blood of bulls and goats for the law can make nothing perfect. But he says, but we enter behind the veil by a new and living way. By the blood of the spotless Lamb of God who is imperishable. Right? And so there is this theme of a superior covenant Through the New Testament, there is a superior uh, uh, spokesman over Moses, and his name is Christ. right? So in in chapter 3, he's saying that Moses put a veil over his face, and and that even unto today, those who read Moses, there's a veil over their mind, and their mind is dull, they can't understand, but only in Christ is the veil removed, and they're able to see uh, God, and they're able to see through the Spirit, Right. This is why John says in John, uh, chapter three, verses five through six. I mean, Jesus says this, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I used to think that what it meant was that I won't be able to see with my physical eyes the spatial location of heaven. No, what he's able, what he's saying is you cannot even interpret heaven and the kingdom of God having come among you until you have eyes to see spiritual eyes. And this is why all these, um, Fat-headed cessationists want to argue that when we walk in power and cast out demons, they don't want to say that it's the kingdom of God because they can't see. They can't see the kingdom of God. They don't. We, they don't want. They wouldn't know it if it slapped them in the face. They don't. They can't see. They have no spiritual scruples to understand. It's all intellectualism. It's all um, of the flesh. It's all meticulous law-keeping. And there's no spirit-energized Christian religion. Right? But he says, unless you are born again, you can't see the kingdom. And this is why Paul says, henceforth we know no man after the flesh, though we at one time knew Jesus after the flesh. He says, at one time we seen Jesus after the flesh, not no more. He's changed our understanding. He has lifted the veil. I now see Jesus in truth. He's the Son of God, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And it is Him that we proclaim. It is in Him we live, move, and have our being. It is Him that we preach. It is Him that we love. It is in, and, and it is Him that fills the church all in all. <clears throat> From start to finish, it's Christ. From start to finish is Jesus crucified. And what that demands of us is that our flesh is crucified. See, you know, it's easy to be a religious person, it's difficult to be a spiritual person. You can do whatever you want and slap religion over it. You can do whatever you want and slap uh slap uh 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 uh, slap a uh, churchianity to it and say it's Christianity. It's easy. You know, you just get a latte, get a cute hairdo, some skinny jeans that are ripped, stand behind uh, an untraditional pulpit, say a couple of jokes, you know, do good, have a little food drives, and we go home, watch football game, and I mean, we just have a ball. It's easy. Mm-hmm. But it's a whole other thing if the Lord tells you. No, you need to die to that. That wonderful profession that you want to do in my name, you must die. You can't do that. What, Lord? I mean, it's a good thing. I I can feed the poor. I can do this with that. I can do this with that. No, I I said die. um, For example, another one is cutting off certain people in your life. Oh, how difficult that is. And 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 we want to justify and say but I'm reaching the last. How will they see the light, oh Lord? And you, and you just mm-hmm. you know like I don't know if you've seen those cartoons where they go like this and try to act sweet and their their eyelashes like like flicker and they <laughs> blink all fast. That's what some of you will do to the Lord try to butter him up. <laughs> but he's not budging. <laughs> How many of you are thankful that the Lord doesn't budge? Because if he budged, you'd be consumed by the next morning for all your sins. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> I might have to go bald. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, I'm not getting to this. Um, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. You know why he's saying this? Because those Judaizers, they're doing that. In fact, there's there's so many um, hard words spoken against these people. They said that they creep into houses. and, 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 And they're peddling the word of God. It's all for profit. They make the word of God into a business. This is why I don't like guys like Stephen Furtick. This is why I don't like guys like Joe Osteen. This is why I don't like guys like that. Because you know why? They're prostituting the scriptures. I know that sounds difficult. And I know even at this point, some of you might say, well, I've benefited from some of these messages. See, that's the difficulty there. This is what Paul is facing Do you understand those whom he has fathered in the faith? And he's trying to convince them that circumcision doesn't profit anything. Well, I will submit to you that Stephen Furtick, with all his worship songs and all their food drives and community outreaches and all this stuff, profits nothing. It's religion because it's not spirit born. There is no unction and there is no centrality of the cross of Christ and him alone. It's always about felt needs. It's always about your next promotion. It's always about advancing to the next level. It's always about prospering this and prospering that, and don't get me wrong, I believe that we as the children of God are to take dominion and we are to prosper, but by and large, that is their only message, and there is nothing of crucifixion, nothing of repentance, and man, I can't tell you the last time, I can't say if there's ever been a time that I've listened to these people and they've preached a scathing message on hell, I ain't never heard it either, bro. And I I get that we're not to be fear mongers behind the pulpit and that be our only message. And we keep sounding this alarm and people don't believe us because we keep telling them that's our only message. an You know, a flood is coming, a flood is coming, a flood is coming, you know, and there's no practice for Christian living. There's no practical messages. And well, how do I live it out until the meantime? But, my point though is this, it's not heard of in these churches. You know why? Because Jesus isn't Lord in their churches. If He was Lord, some people would leave. The majority of the people would leave. You know, they say that, you know, on a Sunday, met, uh, you know, you know. Uh, what, what do they say? Uh... See how many people show up on a Sunday, it'll show you how popular the church is. See how many people show up on Wednesday, it'll show you how popular the evangelist is. See how many people show up for a prayer meeting, shows you how popular God is. Amen. God's not popular. You know why? Because they can't see His glory. You know, it comes from the Greek word doxa, and it means. Glory or fame. And and <clears throat> see, they're all about their fame. They're not about the fame of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to say something very difficult here. I read just yesterday, I don't know who posted, but they said, if they have Bible in their bio, but body in their pictures, they're not the one. So what I mean by that is this, we can say what we want about the Bible, but how much of the flesh are we glorifying? Amen. How much of the flesh are we displaying? How much of the flesh do we boast in? How much of the flesh do we, we I've seen it so many times, I've even seen it at outreaches. People want to uh, use this time, this frame, this platform of time to boast about things they've done in the flesh or are currently doing in the flesh, but they slap Jesus' name to it. Does, it matters not how finely dressed the carcass is. It's dead. And I'm not suggesting if we relapse into some boastful times and moments that we're therefore dead. But I am saying this, is that there are a lot of people that are whitewashed tombs in their dead corpses today. Because you know why? It's not this that they care about. It's not the fame and the glory of Jesus that they care about. It's narcissism behind the pulpit. It's narcissism, narcissism. That means self love. And, and, and forgive me for a minute. I'm just gonna rant a little bit. You know, you get a pastor who has his son they, and his, his, his wife, the mom, co-signs to get this kid's filthy trash out into the music world. Where's the fear of where's the fear of God in this? He's talking about oh, okay, He's talking about lighting up people's blocks. So, first of all, he's lying because he lives in the suburbs. It's like whose block are you lighting up? It's, it's stupid. It's ridiculous. And he's telling, he's talking about going into clubs and this and this and that. Stephen Furtick's son. It's, it's, it's a disgrace to the gospel. It's an absolute disgrace. Leading the people of God but can't lead his own home. And then he they, anyways, I'll stop. But you get the point though. You get the point. It's serious stuff. It's very serious stuff. And so I, I'm trying to convince us here today <clears throat> don't fall through the don't fall for these twenty first century Judaizers who cloak themselves in this false mask that they're so godly when they're nothing more than fleshly people that are prostituting and pimping the word of God for their own profit, fame, and glory. And if you're offended by that, let me ask you this, if you're walking by the Spirit, would you be offended the way that you are? If not, I think we must examine our hearts. I think the main thing is, is, is there a boast in the cross? Is there a boast in the cross? Paul says, I, I determined to know nothing among you save Christ and him crucified. To who, He says, to, to which this world has been crucified to me and I to it. I'm not going to boast about promotions. I'm not going to try to look like some hipster. And I'm not against fashion, but when this is this this is the characteristic of this individual, you can be assured that it's not about the spirit; it's about the flesh. Where, where is where is the leading unto men? When there is there is so much, people are enamored by all this fame and all these you know um, get this right angle so we can look like we have more people in our church than we do. This is the stuff that they do. It's not about lost people. And this is what's so angering to me because we should be about lost men. We should be about the glory of God. There's nothing more um there, There's nothing more disheartening to see that men are just using this um as, as uh, acting as if they care about lost people. But so, the answer your question, is, is there a boast in the cross? Is there a boast in the Spirit of God and His power? But do you know what that will look like? It will look like a life energized by fasting, and in a life energized by prayer, a life energized not by my own knowledge, by my own intelligence. It will be about God. It will be a life filled with faith, a life filled with sacrifice, a life filled with love holy love, not as the world loves. It won't me me blurring the lines like Kirk Franklin trying to go to the BET awards and act like I'm doing something godly. It's willing to be hated by the world. <clears throat> Real talk. <time>. <clears throat> let, let's, uh um, I'm sorry I can't give like point by point, but I think you guys get the understand. I think you guys get the gist here. I think you guys have an understanding of, okay, yeah, this is why people like Paul Washer speak the way that they do and conduct themselves the way they do. But then guys like Olsteen and, and these guys over here look like the way they do and speak like the way they do. And their churches look like the way they do. We have to get all the lightings correct. We have to get all the fog machines. You know what I'm saying? You know, and so. um, But I just want to say quickly, just FYI, just because a church might have lightings that makes it look like a club. I'm not saying it's false, but I'm just saying as you examine more and more, if it talks like a duck. You know, quacks like a duck, walks like a duck, looks like a duck. It's a duck. Christogen likes that example. He's he's enamored by ducks. (laughs) But so... He says, On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age is blind to the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So, I know this should go without saying, but understand that whenever we preach the gospel, even if our gospel is veiled, So what he was saying is, look, those who have come to Moses and don't come to Christ, there's a veil that remains over their hearts even unto the present day. They can't see uh, who Christ is. They can't see his glory. But he says, even if people do hear the gospel and they don't turn the Lord, it's because the God of this world has blinded their minds. The devil has prevented them from being able to see. This is why it doesn't matter if you talk to them until you're blue in the face, doesn't matter how logical sounding your arguments are, doesn't matter how convincing the evidence is, you cannot argue people to renounce their gods. They love their false gods. The, the Bible says this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, but the world has loved darkness rather than light. And so as a consequence, they're given unto blindness, because they don't want to retain God in their knowledge, according to Romans chapter 1. And so as a consequence, the Bible says, God gives them up to uh, a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They're filled with all manner of lust, men filled with lust with other men and women doing shameful things with women. You see it today with the LGBT, you see them, these perverts, they're, they're trying to entice these little children. I don't know who here had posted on their, I think someone posted on their Instagram stories, but it's, it's absolutely repulsive. They claim a message of tolerance, but yet they're forcing you to bow down to their wicked agenda. Don't tolerate it. I'm thankful I'm intolerant. You know why? Because Jesus commends such people as us who are intolerant. He says, I commend you in the book of Revelation. for." He says, you cannot tolerate the teaching of the Nicolaitans, which I do also hate. So Jesus is intolerant. He's filled with love and he's filled with compassion. But do not be mistaken. When it comes to uh, these false doctrines that entice people away from God, you can be assured that he'll fight it like an adversary. He will. But that should be an encouragement to us. Because you know why? Because with jealousy, because of his love for you, He will fight against the things that will destroy you. Why does God hate it so much? Well, number one, it doesn't reflect his character. Number two is it will condemn you. So he'll fight against it with the sword of his mouth. He will dispel and attack lies. This is why teachers are held to such a greater standard. But you got... Anyways, I I, I won't rant further, but you get the point that there's this high standard. There's a high standard for those that are going to proclaim the Word of God. And like Paul says, we don't don't use deception. We don't distort the Word of God. We're not just trying to play gymnastics and origami with the scriptures in order to gain a larger following. Amen. Amen. I'm not trying to use tactics to woo you, run up to the Instagram camera and say, hold on, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on. You know how they do that? They'll run up to the thing. It's all flesh. I don't want you to pray for me. You're not in the spirit. No, for all that they'll do it all the time. Oh, now, wait a minute. Just why are you so eager? Jesus didn't do that. He told the rich man who couldn't follow him. He said, you know, he didn't. He didn't plead for him. To, hey, please come on. Just, just come on, please. Preach. He didn't do that. He knew what he carried. He knew the value of the gospel. And he knew that it took 100% relentless pursuit after this. Otherwise, you're not going to make it. I can't be like Lot's wife, who looks back and turns into a pillar of salt. He that places his hand on the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom. I know it's hard. I know it's a heavy message. May God strengthen you and give you grace to hold on to that plow and not look back. Amen. Thomas Brooks, a, a great Puritan, said this, The sins that taste most sweet in life will be those that are taste most bitter in death. God, help us to be who we have been called to be in Christ. But Paul is not peddling the word of God. He's not distorting it for his own gain. He says, if people don't believe, he says it's because the devil has blinded their minds. You know, it's crazy because I remember, I remember, I was telling my wife this a couple of weeks ago. I remember back in the day when I, uh, I had gotten out of the hall, I got out of juvie, and it was the first time I've ever heard a sermon preached, and I can't even tell you what they were preaching, I can't even tell you if it convicted me or not, I don't know, maybe it was because of them, maybe they weren't preaching hellfires, I don't know, I don't know what it was, I can't tell you to be honest, um, but it was awesome though, it was amazing as years later, I did end up getting saved. The same people that were in the hall when they preached to me were the people that I ended up ministering with. And they were able to see that I got saved. But here's the thing was when I got locked up, I didn't get saved. Um, I was open to the idea of God. I even prayed here and there, but there was no radical transformation. But when I got back out, um, I just went back to my old ways but there was somewhat of a knowledge of God that I had now that I didn't have before. And I remember one night me and my friend we were getting drunk, and we were, we, were, uh, we were on my couch. And I don't know how it happened. I don't know if I just flicked to a random station on TV, but it was a preacher. I can't tell you who it was. I can't tell you if it was sound doctrine or not. But I remember my friend, he was drunk and I started waking him up. I said, yo, we got to listen to this, bro. And started slapping him on the face. I said, man, you need to listen to this right now. Like, come on, you know, and I, I don't know what it was exactly, but I think it was like this sort of zeal that I had, even though I was living in sin. And I can't even tell you what the preacher was saying or if it made sense to me because it didn't make sense to me. But I say that because this, people can be religious and still be blind. This is why they go through these vicious cycles and there's no radical transformation. And they'll even do the cross as they pass by churches and stuff. You know? But it's because they're blind and this is what the devil does. He's very crafty. He will allow you to believe that you're saved as, uh, as an unbeliever because you have a little bit of Christian veneer and you got a little cross on, you know, cross on your, uh, around your neck and that you're all good. But it's not the case. It's only those who are born again who really see Jesus, who really desire to be transformed by his saving power. So as we continue, he says, "For we, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus as Lord." Um. He says, "For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake." And so once again, he's saying that we, yes, we preach Jesus, but we're also preaching that we are your servants for Jesus' sake. Why? Because they're, they are refusing Paul, they're refusing his ministry because of these lies. And see, this is what you have to be careful for. Just on the side note, the Bible says in Acts chapter 20 that ravenous wolves will come in from among you, not sparing the flock, but drawing men after themselves. He says, This will happen after my departure. You'll be surprised what happens when, when the pastor ain't looking. You'll be surprised what happens or what sort of conversations happen when, 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 uh, uh, the pastor's eyes or ears are not on you. Men speaking twisted things because people are thirsty for power they will defy churches i've seen it people who had influence because they had a gift of people i know that were great piano players could sing well will end up dividing a whole church because they're thirsty for power it's sad but he's saying that we preach ourselves as your servants for jesus sake If if Christ has commissioned us to you, listen to what we're saying. The message is this, that we preach the gospel and not a works-based gospel. Don't allow your, and this is what Paul says. He says, I am fearful of you that just as Satan beguiled Eve, that your minds will be turned away from the simplicity that is in Christ. He says, I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. If it yet be in vain. You who began by the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? From A to Z, it's it's life in the Spirit. Life by the Spirit of God. But he says, um, verse 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So Paul once was in darkness. But he had that radical transformation on the road of Damascus when he had an encounter with the Lord. You know, I love this example by Paul Washer. He says, "How do you know you've been encountered by the Lord?" He says, "Well, can you be run over, can you be hit by a 16-wheeler and not be changed?" You're going to be disfigured by its power. And some of you um Have Some of us have had the light shine in our hearts and as a consequence we've seen, man, I've been living a life in darkness. I need the grace of God. I need the blood of Jesus. I can't live this life any longer. His light convicts. His light pierces. His light shows you what you're not and what you must become. His light will shine on areas in your life where those cockroaches are trying to hide. Uh. This is why some of us can't endure preaching like this because there's too much light. It, you know, we don't want exposure. And I confess it's difficult, but by the grace of God, we can endure the light. We can endure sound preaching. We can endure rebukes. Now, I like what Leonard Ravenhill said. He says, you'll have a million millennia in eternity where there's no sorrow there. We can endure godly sorrow on this side of eternity through repentance. It's not that we live there, but we live in joy. But there are times when you're off course that the Lord will burden you with a godly sorrow because you're not getting it right. And he's saying, change. I need you to change that. Shape up that area. Stop doing that. Stop listening to that trash music that you listen to. All these garbage baby face or whoever the heck, you know, has these, uh, songs being put out. Six, nine, you got, he should look like he, <laughs> he looks like he should work for an ice cream truck, not a rapper. Baskin Robin, man, got 21 flavors all up on his hair. (laughs) But seriously, some of you need to turn off that garbage music because it's affecting your mind. It's poisoning your mind. And then you begin reminiscing, you may be going down memory road and thinking, man, I used to be this, or man, people are treating me at work like this. I never used to take this stuff back in the world. I'm going to put my gangster back on, or I'm going to put my hood back on, or whatever. And you start getting into this mindset that is no longer godly. Because the music that you're listening to, and some of you may not even be like that. Some of you were very clean sinners. Listening to uh, Beethoven, and you know, listening to or or who knows what you're listening to. Maybe a little bit of oldies, and so you can't help but think back. You know, back in the '90s when you're cruising, you're like listening to some old oldies. You know, sitting in the park waiting for you. <laughs> But the point, though, I'm saying is some of you will get bent out of shape and you get out of character the more you listen to this music. And then you slowly begin to drift. And some of you say, you know what? There's nothing wrong with the music I'm listening to. There's no cuss words. It doesn't blaspheme Christ. But for some of us, when you listen to that, you can't handle it. And I'm not saying that you can handle blasphemous music, but I understand there's some of us that would want to make the argument, but look, it's clean, it don't blaspheme Jesus, there's no cuss words, it's not degrading women. But if you find your heart beginning to relish the things of God less and less, it's a good indication that God is telling you give that up. Yes. Even Christian books, you're reading too many Christian books. The Lord's saying, dig your face in the word. For some of you, all you do is dig your face in the word and the Lord is telling you, pray. And your religious mind can't make sense of it. It's like, well, I'm reading the word. The Bible says, meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. Why do I need to do something else? Or Why must I devote more time to this over here? Just listen to the spirit. Don't argue with him. You know, I, I've seen this <laughs> I seen this video some time back. There's this young girl. She's in her house. You know, she's in her room and stuff. You know, she's kicking back and she's reading the Bible. And her dad comes in. If I remember the video correctly, the dad comes in and says, Honey, I need you to clean your room. And she's all, Okay, Dad. <clears throat> well, some hours later, he comes in the room. She's still kicking back, and he looks at the room, it's all dirty, and he says, honey, I said clean your room, what's going on here? He says, oh, I know, but I can tell you what you told me in Greek, and I can tell you what you told me in Hebrew. <laughs> She's like, "Ah, uh, you still didn't clean the room, I don't care if you can tell me in Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, or whatever. Or if you give a study, and she said, "I even gave a study on what you told me to do. Here are my notes. I wrote it down." You see how you see how religious people can get. It's subtle, ain't it? Pure obedience is better than sacrifice. And so, <clears throat> oh man, um. The light has shined in the heart of Paul. The light has shined in the heart of Paul. And now he has a radical transformation. The Lord transformed him on the road of Damascus. But that wasn't enough. He needed a man of God to pray for him for the scales to fall off his eyes. See, some of us are so heavenward that we don't feel like we need other people in the body of Christ. The Lord says, no, that's not going to be that way. You don't have an option you think the man wanted to pray for him? He says, I know this person that you want me to pray for. He's wreaking havoc in the church. See, the Lord, you know, I'm sorry I keep going on these tangents, but there's a lot of things that God wants me to say that's hitting some of these personal points for you. There's some people that you have to get uh, 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 rid of this um, this inability to associate with certain Christians because they make you feel a certain way. What good is it if we love only those that love us? Amen. I heard someone say that when Amen. the church of God comes together, it can sometimes be like a porcupine hugging each other. You're gonna get pricked. You're gonna be made feel uncomfortable. But you know, see, you know it's funny to me, those that act the most like holy, they'll say, Oh, I thank thee, O God, oh, in the highest majesty henceforth you know i beseech of thee you know they act and I, i've actually heard people pray like that it's, fun, it's funny i was at a prayer meeting that i used to lead at an old church of mine and there's this guy who'd go like that He's like, oh i beseech thee oh heavenly one <laughs> but what's funny is that we'll do things like that but the lord will say you know leave your gift at the altar go be reconciled with your brother Stop Stop with the act. Just go do some simple obedience. Amen. <clears throat> um, but Paul was radically transformed by this light, and it is this light that we preach and that we live in. It says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Now, here is where I'm coming. I'm coming to the crux of, of this message. The, the main point for why uh, I've, I've chosen this passage is, and I, I trust that this will be encouraging to you. <laughs> Paul is saying that he has treasure in these earthen jars. Now. As we have read in the book of Romans, I'm sure that you guys have read this passage. Paul says, Who who are we as the clay to say to the potter, Why have you made me this way? So, what Paul defines as jars of clay are our bodies. Okay, the Bible describes us in many different ways as the bride of Christ, describes us as the temple of the Lord. Excuse me, describes us as the temple of the Lord. But this specific description is for a purpose. Because the temple, when we're described as a temple, it's always associated as the collective people of God functioning together for this sole purposes of God's presence dwelling within this majestic construction. This, this majestic edifice, this, this wonderful building. And, but in this case, when he's speaking of us about, he speaks to us as jars, there's a purpose for it. You know why? Because we are fragile. What happens with jars, they can be broken. They can be dashed to pieces. And they're crafted by a potter. So we are those that are passive in the act of formation as the potter is shaping us and molding us. And there's nothing very um, appealing about jars. Gold, on the other hand, is worth very much, but pottery were a very common craft in the days of of the first century, and just you know, it was a very common craft, and it didn't cost very much. But it was fat, fragile, could be broken. But he was saying that the, we have treasure. In these jars of clay, what is this treasure? It's the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. It's the presence of God. It is the Holy Spirit that resides within us. This is the treasure. He says the kingdom of God will be likened unto a man that sells all in exchange for, for. Uh, well, if I'm not mistaken, the parable said a, a pearl, a great pearl or something like that. This is the kingdom of God can be likened unto a woman who had ten tal- or ten coins, lost a coin and went in search for it. Why? Because there's something valuable about the gospel that we harness within these jars of clay. But what is the reason? This isn't his main point. This is one point leading up to the next point. And the next point is this. Um, to show this all surpassing surpassing powers from God and not us so the reason why god places so imagine this imagine i had 5 million dollars but i housed it in a broken down shack right there's nothing there's nothing wonderful about the shack there's nothing glorious about the shack But there's everything valuable about what is in the shack. So there there is value in us because of the treasure that we carry. There is something valuable in us. And it's the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, this is to display... That the power is from God and not us. And you know how we demonstrate that? Paul says this, he says, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. So in other words, there is something in us that keeps us going that is not from us. And the way that we demonstrate it is in us, and that we have a value, we have treasures in us, and we have treasures that we look forward to, is by the fact... That I endure suffering, I endure perplexing times, I endure being hard pressed on every side, and I do not give up, and I don't go back to my old ways that's how I demonstrate to God to demons unto and unto men that there is a treasure that I am after, and this treasure is not from me or what the world can give to me. this treasure is not about what uh, uh um Uh, I can be uh, given by the world, but it's by what I will gain in the life to come. Amen. Amen. And so if you're finding a difficulty of enduring, the reason is because there is no overwhelming sight of the glory of God that leads you heavenward. You don't see Your eyes have, have, are becoming impaired. We're so earthly minded. We're no heavenly good. Now does it doesn't mean that you go sell everything. And you know you live on some mountain. And learn how to you know you know um, you learn agriculture. And you live off the radar doesn't mean that you do all that stuff. But it means that while, see, that's the thing. We don't live in monasteries. I don't need to live in some dang old-fashioned, run-down monastery to be of service to God. In fact, all I have to do is have a monastery in my own heart, harnessing the presence of God, and that is my monastery. Now, I love what Smith Wigglesworth, he says, I'm not waiting for revival, I bring revival. You know, Jesus says, don't think that the kingdom of God is here or there. He says, the kingdom of God is in you. We bring kingdom. Everywhere we go, we should be bringing kingdom. Because we're carriers of his presence. But look at, it doesn't matter what it is that he's going through. He says, we're hard pressed on every side. He says, but we're not crushed. And so, in other words, there's pressure. It's trying to constrict you, trying to reduce your activity. When you find that you can't do all that you would want to do because there's so much constriction, well, it's because you're under pressure. And there's a purpose for the pressure. And the purpose is so that demons will know Angels will know, men will know, and you will know that your enduring is all from the surpassing power of God and not because of this earthen vessel, not because of this jar of clay. Uh, And this is why... Some of you are frustrated and you pull your hair. Why can't I ever get a break? It seems like when I go through something, I'm already into another thing. And this isn't my fault. is isn't my consequences. You know why? Because God once again wants to demonstrate to you that you need to be as good as dead. And there's no possible way that you can get through it. And so he wants you to bow your knee in a full recognition to say, Lord, I can't do this. This is so much pressure. I cannot endure it. And he says, aha, that's the moment that I'm waiting for you to arrive to so that you will know and be educated in the school of tribulation so that you know that the power is from God. So he will bring you through these things that are utterly impossible for you to obey. Some of you... A good example is forgiving someone. Someone that has harmed you. Someone that has wronged you. For some of you it's showing godliness to those that are in your your workplace. Some of you it's forgiving your mother. Some of you it's forgiving your father. And you say, "I, I cannot do this. Well, good, you're learning something about Christianity. This whole religion is about you not being able to do it. Why do you think Paul is belaboring the point all along saying, it's not about you being circumcised, you can't boast in the flesh, duh. It's about being energized and strengthened by the Spirit of Almighty God. That's what it's about. And if you find yourself getting frustrated and getting out of character, it's because, you know why? And let me tell you, let me let you in on this little secret. It's because you're still trying to do it by your own power. That's why. You're still trying to do it by your own power. And I've learned every time I say, you know what? Because at some point I got frustrated. There's nothing that me worrying can do anything about this situation. There's not, It can't do anything. It won't change it. At that moment, I just say, God, I need your help. Oh, Lord, strengthen me. Oh, Lord, see me through. Oh, God, fill me with your power because I cannot do this. As one great writer said, is that we pray to live the Christian life and we live the Christian life to pray. But, it's, but notice though, whether it's hard pressed or whether perplexed, so even though we have a knowledge of God, there are still perplexing times that you don't know what God is doing. God, why am I still single? God, why why did I go through what I went through? God, why is it that I'm still at this lousy job? God, why is it that I haven't progressed to wherever it is that I want to progress to? God, why is it that my mother hasn't reached out to me? God, why is not that this person isn't saved yet? God, why, why, why? And there's so many questions that we can ask. But you know what? The way I see it is this. Even if you were to be given an answer and you had no peace, what use would it be? But a lot of times God will give you no answer but give you peace. Yeah. So whether through hard-pressed perplexing persecution or if we're struck down none of these things shipwreck our faith just because we're perplexed doesn't mean God has abandoned you just because you don't know where God is doing or where he's at in this doesn't mean that he's abandoned you just because you're hard pressed doesn't mean that God isn't protecting you just because you're struck down doesn't mean that the de- God has given you over unto the devil. Look at what Paul went through. He says, I'm in peril in the sea. Peril among brethren. Peril among them. I fought beasts at Ephesus. He says, I was whipped. I was stoned. I was shipwrecked. I was imprisoned. I was flogged. I was all these things. You know, it's funny today, we want to say, I got a PhD from this university, you know, I, you know, did this and, you know, he's the co-author of this book and, you know, but how about Paul's resume? I got flogged and shipwrecked and all this other stuff. That doesn't make for a very good and appealing resume to many people. Some people will say you're cursed by God. But this was a, this was an indication that God had a purpose for Paul. And you know why? Because it's more than just about us. It's about seeing the glory of God in and through us. And it cannot be displayed that your treasures are within and your treasures are in heaven if God allows you to live this Disneyland life without tribulation. Because if living the Christian life is about all that we can accumulate and acquire in this world, then it's less about God and it's more about this world. We're almost done. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. So we're given unto death all day long. Why? So that his life may be manifested in our mortal bodies. See, some of you say, I want to walk in the power of the Spirit, but you don't know that the precursor to that, that what comes before that is a cross. You don't get resurrection power if you've never died in the first place. We get resurrection power. Now, ultimately and positionally, we've died in Jesus. That's a once and for all thing. But practically speaking, there are a thousand deaths that we die. But see, God doesn't want to leave us there. Christian life is not me moping around and saying, Woe is me, wretched man. Oh, I'm just a worm. I'm a no good. No, that's not the abundant and enriching life of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the life of the Spirit is joy. is righteousness. And peace. So if we live in this morbidity, if we live in this depression, we're not supposed to stay there. We're supposed to exit out of that into joy in God. That is what is made available to us. Amen? Anything less than that is just sackcloth Christianity. It's Catholicism at its finest. Ashes and floggings and sackcloth and all that stuff. Jesus already paid it all. He already got flogged for you. He already got pierced for you. He already got beat and bruised and stepped on because of you. He already got crucified for you. We don't have to live in this place. That is frustrating the grace of God. If I'm trying to replace my life with Jesus when Jesus all along wanted to replace his life with mine. Come on somebody, that's gospel preaching there. That Jesus doesn't require for you to go back and relive Calvary in your own flesh. He wants you to live the abundant life in the Spirit of God. That's what he wants us to live. It gives no glory to God if we go moping around, depressed, backslidden, despairing, discouraged, dismayed. It gives glory to God that despite what we go through, we can still have joy. And this is what Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Amen. Why do you think that Jesus is much better than these false gods who cannot satisfy? You keep coming to these broken cisterns, drawing from them, and you remain thirsty like the Samaritan woman at the well who was already on her fifth man, but she wasn't satisfied. Because God wants to display to the world that He satisfies and He's the living water that our hearts long for. So that while people are running after fashion and running after fame and running after money, running after power, that their wells keep running dry and that there is a God in heaven who satisfies and His name is Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but when I came and I met the Lord on that hot August night back in 2011, I had a smile on my face like I never had before. I felt the cleansing of the Holy Spirit. And I told my friends, no matter what drug I popped, snorted, sniffed, or or, or smoked, I said, this is far better than anything that I've ever experienced in my life. I want to serve Jesus for the rest of my life. Ain't no turning back. And it isn't because I fear hell anymore that I refuse my sin. It's because there is a God who loved me. Not that I loved Him, but He first loved me and He showed Himself to me. And now I have joy in abundance. I have life everlasting. I have a hope in my soul. I have an anchor for my life. And there's a God who protects me and watches over me all the days of my life. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Ah, Hallelujah. Oh, I feel the glory of God. Oh, man. Thank you, Jesus. This isn't theatrical. I don't know. I sucked at school. I didn't even go into drama. I couldn't get elective. So I, I I don't know drama if it smacked me in my face. But I tell you what, I was once lost but now I'm found. I was once dead but now I'm alive. And that's why I got hope in my soul. And I preach the way that I do. I live the way that I do. I'll talk to strangers and I'll upset your convenient time to share with you the gospel that there is a God that I ignored all my life and I turned my back against Him. But one day, Jesus appeared unto this broken man and he showed him that there is something greater than drugs. There is something greater than all that you have known up until this time and that he wants to reveal himself to you and give you a life full of purpose and meaning. Hallelujah. Yeah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you Jesus. Thank you Jesus. I ain't faking it until I make it. I've already made it. Because Jesus made it for me on that hill called Calvary. He made it. He made it. I don't have to be bruised for my own sins. I don't have to be flogged and whipped. I don't have to suffer from condemnation. I don't have to perish today. Because Jesus died and he was condemned for my sin. He was crushed by my iniquities. The chastisement of that brought us was upon him. Thank God that he didn't open his mouth. When he stood before Pontius Pilate. Some of us would have blown our cool and we would have lost it. Some of us would well wanted to have defended ourselves. But Jesus was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And he gave, he gave his precious blood for you and I. He gave his body to be broken. Oh God, help us to be able to see that. He doesn't want your blood. He wants your heart. He wants my heart. The Father yearns to be intimate with you. The Father longs to know you and to longs to know me. Oh, thank you, Lord. Jesus, He wants to be friends with us. wants to be companions with us. He wants to know us. He says, here I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens, I will come and dine with him. He wasn't talking about a world. He wasn't talking about a harlot world. He was talking about the church. He says, here I stand at the door and knock. Will you open? says, I'm here. Will you open? I'm knocking. But You're looking through the peephole. Who is it? Oh, man, it's Jesus. Maybe I can let him in, but I just can't let him into my room. I can't let him into my bedroom because he, there's things there I don't want him to see. He's still knocking. He says... I'm not ding-dong-ditching your house. (laughs) I actually expect for you to answer. I'm not DoorDash. I'm not Uber. Or or whatever those things are called. I'm not DoorDash or what have you. (laughs) Will you open? He knocks with pierced hands. He knocks with pierced hands. hallelujah thank you lord thank you lord the lord is convicting some of you right now the lord is convicting some of you yield your hearts to the holy spirit don't be in a hurry to get out of the presence of god And I say this not, not, not out of intimidation, but I'm saying this because the love of the Lord is beginning to woo some of you. And He's saying that you need to give up some things. And it's not out of a threat. It's out of a heart of the Father that longs to have intimacy with you. But there's a blockage that there's, there's, there's a, a, there's a blockage in the channel line. And He wants it to be removed to have intimacy with you. This is why some of us are still living in sorrow. And we haven't experienced the fullness of joy that is in His presence presence and his pleasures forevermore at his right hand is because we're still clinging a hold of some of those things that are serving to destroy us serving to cause us sorrow serving to cause us depression hallelujah thank you jesus oh lord i pray that you tumble our walls down Oh, Holy Spirit, may we not hold back anything. May we have no reservations, God, I pray. <clears throat> Father, I pray, God, in Jesus' mighty name, that your Holy Spirit would begin to move in our hearts, Lord. That we wouldn't dodge your word, Lord. We wouldn't be afraid of sacrifice. We wouldn't be afraid, Father. We wouldn't be afraid that you will not compensate us for all that you ask for us to give up. I'm hearing the Lord saying some of you need to give up your Isaacs. Some of you need to give up your Isaacs. You won't sacrifice them on the altar and you want to fulfill the promises of God through an Ishmaelite. You want to fulfill the plans of God through the flesh, through Ishmael. My brothers and sisters, whatever you're doing, don't distract yourselves. The Spirit of God is brooding in this place and He's speaking to you. He's saying, give up Ishmael. Don't. He's not going to do it that way. He's going to do it through Isaac. And people won't understand. Sarah won't understand. People are going to laugh about it. People are going to think you're crazy. It's a lonely road up that hill, but the Lord is saying, sacrifice Isaac, and I will make you a father of many nations, but it's not going to happen in the flesh. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God, I pray, Father. Have your way in our lives. May we hold back no longer, Lord. May we hold back no longer, O Lord. Begin to woo your people with your love. Father, I pray. Those whom you love, you chastise. Those whom you love and receive as sons and daughters, you rebuke. Hallelujah. He wants to fill your heart with so much joy. The goodness, the goodness of God wants to fill your heart. Some of you need to let your pride down. Some of you refuse to allow yourself to cry. Some of you are so, so whether men or women, so macho in the flesh that you won't allow the spirit of God. Because people have broken you so many times. Many times you've tried to show your feelings, but you wouldn't. But people stomped on you, and you've just learned to harness it. You've learned to harbor it. You've learned to just swallow the pill because nobody cares but the Lord is saying I care for you can't you hear the voice of your father's heart crying out to you this ain't sentimentalism the spirit of God is speaking hallelujah Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. I don't want us to be in a hurry. Might miss out on you might miss out and forfeit your blessing, <clears throat> God, I pray speak to your people. speak to your people speak to your people. Some of you have to give up careers, some of you have to give up relationships. Some of you have to endure that lonely prayer closet that the Lord keeps calling you to. Oh man, I feel, I feel God's weight, man. He's dealing with some of your hearts. I know I can't see you, but I know some of you are crying behind that screen. He's dealing with you. He don't want to make you feel ugly. Don't want to make you feel like trash. That's not his prerogative. That's not his objective. I know this may not sound biblical, but the Lord wants to make you feel beautiful. He wants to take away all your stains. Wants to take all the things that ruined your life, caused you guilt, wants to take away everything that has caused you mayhem in your life, everything that hasn't allowed you to succeed, everything that has been a hindrance and a weight. <clears throat> <clears throat> Hallelujah. jesus thank you jesus hallelujah glory to god not that we loved him but he first loved us god demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners christ died for the ungodly very rarely will a good man die for a righteous person but god demonstrates his own love for us in this At the right time christ died for the ungodly How much more shall we be saved by His blood from the wrath of God? The Bible says, "Hallelujah!" <clears throat> Glory, to God. Thank you, Jesus. Let me just read these last passages. um, Verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. In other words, Paul is saying, look, our outward man is wasting away. I know this earth and clay is not going to last forever. But there, there is glory in us. There is the kingdom of God in us. There are treasures in us. The Holy Spirit is in us. And the Holy Spirit is the person who allows us to walk by, not sight, but by faith. He leads us into all the truth and righteousness. The Bible tells us he's the seal for our redemption that guarantees our inheritance. That the spirit, the resurrection spirit of Jesus is within us. And so that we will not suffer into combination. We will not pass into death. But we will pass over unto life. And it is this which is our hope that allows for us to to endure perplexing times and pressure and persecution, that is our hope, is that, the Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19, he says this, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. If only in this life have I hoped in Jesus, I am above all men most to be pitied. Why? And Paul tells us why. He says in verse 29 through 32 in 1 Corinthians, he says, Now if there is no resurrection, what will those who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus, With no more than human hopes what have I gained if the dead are not raised let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die then he says from verses 50 through 58 and we're coming to a close I declare to you brothers and sisters that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable listen I tell you a mystery we will not all sleep but we will all be changed in a flash The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And so, in other words, as we come to a close, this is final Paul's final thought. And in Second Corinthians, he's saying, Look, we have received this ministry. It with by the mercy of God and we don't lose hope why he says because we walk by faith and we walk, we don't walk by sight so that even though I'm going through all that I'm going through, I fought with beasts at Ephesus he says, my hopes is not mere human hopes my gains are not mere human gains he says that is not enough to anchor us in this walk that's why Paul says this. He says, uh, uh, what shall separate us from the love of Christ shall persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword, as it is written, and all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither principalities shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so in other words, he's saying this, it doesn't matter if a sword comes, if famine comes, if persecution comes, I have a hope, and it is the love of God, and it always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. And I know that in this life, if everything comes crumbling down, this is not in vain, because I didn't do it for human hopes. I didn't do it for money. I didn't do it for recognition. I didn't do it for fame i didn't do it for health i didn't do it for friendships i didn't do it for networks i did it because this is the truth that by the bible says and jesus promised me that if i believe on him at the last day he will raise me up and i will not pass into condemnation therefore i don't walk by what my eyes see i walk by faith because he who promised me is faithful, and he will present me faultless until his coming. Glory be unto him, and dominion and power forever. Amen. 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 I Amen. won't. I won't taste the second death. You won't taste the second death. We won't go to hell and be tossed into the lake of fire for all of eternity. We will be raised unto Him. The Bible says He will transform our lowly bodies and make it unto His glorious body. There will be no sorrow, no more suffering, no more pain. For the Bible says the old order, the old order of things has passed away. Hallelujah. This grace has brought me safe thus far and His grace that will lead us home. So therefore, he says, in conclusion of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, after all that he said, he says, if in this life, only in this life have I hoped in Christ, pff, the heck am I doing? Let's just eat and drink. For tomorrow we die, let's just go clubbing. Let's just go hit up the mall. All right? let, let us just fill up to our heart's content, if in this life we have only have hope in Christ. No. This life isn't the only life, my friends. It's a life to come. And he promises us an eternal weight of glory that will far outweigh every suffering that we've gone through. So he says in conclusion, Therefore stand firm, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because your work in the Lord isn't in vain. And so, with that said, understand this. And and these are my final thoughts. <laughs> my brothers and sisters, we have a hope. It's a spiritual hope. It's not a fleshly hope. But Jesus says this. He says, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. If any man, any woman, the things that I'm preaching applies to me, I I must live them out every day. This is why Paul says, I die daily. Every day I die. Every day is a death to self. Every day I have to get on that crucifix yet again. But it's not without a promise. The promise is everlasting life. And the promise is that in this life we can live with resurrection power. We can live in victory. We can live above sin. We can live above reproach. And it will not be a drudgery. It will be a joy. Your fuel is there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That is our fuel. Our fuel is that God loves you. Our fuel is that the Bible says he will reward us a hundredfold in this life and in the life to come for those who have given up property and given up things for the gospel's sake. So, the Bible says in Psalms that those who fall run after false gods, their sorrows are multiplied. Our sorrows are multiplied. But since there's fullness of joy in his presence, in his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And so let us let us close. I'm in prayer. If you didn't get anything else from this message. Simply put. um, We walk by faith and not by sight. Don't be moved. By what this life brings you. Because there is glory in you. And this earthen vessel is going to pass away. It's fading more and more every day. Some of us can tell it by weight gain. And (laughs) wrinkles. And. And all that stuff. I'm already getting gray hairs on my side. It kind of sucks. So it's I'm fading away. <laughs> fading away. The moment we're born, we're already dying. Right? <clears throat> Some of you in your teens don't feel that too much. But, oh, when we, even in our 20s and 30s, it isn't until we're like 70, 80 years old, like, oh, wow, what happened? What happened? Our life is but a vapor. Therefore, Lord, give us a heart of wisdom that we may number our days aright. Father, we we come before you, Lord, and I just ask God that, Lord, that you would help us, Father, to, number our days aright Lord we're a fleeting shadow we're here today and tomorrow we're gone we're here today and tomorrow we're gone Lord and I know that we're we are earthen vessels we're but a speck in an ocean of eternity God help us Help us to walk by faith and not by sight. Help us, Lord, to be heavenly minded. Help us not to be earthly minded. Father, help us to store up treasures in heaven. Help us to store up treasures, Lord God, in you. Father, forgive us for our waywardness. Forgive us for not redeeming the time. Forgive us, Lord, for backslidings. Forgive us, Lord God, for... Relapses into certain sins, forgive us for besetting sins. Father, I pray that you would fill us with your peace and you would fill us with your joy. Father, I pray, God, in Jesus' mighty name, that you would continue to give us grace to live this life. Father, I pray that none of us, Lord, would go backwards, that we would keep going forwards. Father, may we lay hold of the prize. May we fulfill the upward call in Christ Jesus and we forget those things which are behind and strain for what is ahead. God, help us. I pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.